0: We pick it up in verse 1, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. So it had been one month. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, and whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat in the evening, in the morning bread to the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. It does get repetitious, and it does get redundant, the complaints of the children of Israel against Moses and Aaron. But we've covered this briefly in other times, and we'll be covering this for months as we go through these books of Moses and the wilderness wandering. That Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence not yet seen. So faith requires us to trust in the Lord without seeing things. We, He speaks it. He promises it. In Jesus, all the promises are yes and amen. And we believe those things, and we walk by faith. Paul the Apostle said we walk by faith. The flesh wants to see before it believes. We've been talking about this. And we are led by faith by the Lord himself, each one of us individually. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will guide us. And in the new covenant, we're taught to be led by the Holy Spirit in a personal relationship. He's going to speak to us by the word. He indwells us. And he's going to lead us. He's going to give us discernment. He's going to fill us. He's going to empower us with love. He's going to help us forgive people. He's going to help us to discern things, what what wisdom is, and to make good decisions. And a spirit-filled woman, a spirit-filled man, is going to live and walk by faith. They're going to Look to the Lord like Abraham and Sarah, they're gonna believe the promises, and though they don't understand what's going on around them, they're gonna fall back on what they do know, the promises of God, that they can trust them. Now, carnal people are not like this. In the Bible and New Testament, we're told there's three kinds of people in First Corinthians. There's spiritual people who are spirit filled, led by the Lord. Then there's carnal people, carnal believers. So they're they're Christians, they're they're Christians, but they're very carnal. They're not led by the Spirit, they're led by their flesh. They tend to be emotional, selfish, reactive, pushy complaining and then there's the natural man that doesn't receive the things of the spirit so there's really two types of people people that are saved and unsaved of course and in the division of saved people there are spirit-filled people and carnal people the corinthian church filled with carnal people so you have two books that have many chapters dealing with carnal things spiritual people like philippians short book positive things love considering one another and in Corinthians, we're told that these Jews, these Israelites in the wilderness, what they did is written as a warning for us not to do these things. We're told that these things are written for our admonition. And in this case, we know that they murmured and complained constantly all the time against the Lord. But instead of really complaining against the Lord, they complained against the representatives of the Lord the people the Lord had sent them. And this is really common in the church where people aren't doing well with the Lord. They're carnal. They're not spirit-filled. They complain against the pastor, the people that have ministered to them. They blame spirit-filled people. They blame the church. If you want to be critical, and there are many people who are carnal Christians who are critical. They're critical of the leadership. They're critical of decisions that the leadership makes. No matter what you do, they're going to be upset. And they're always... they. Not always, but they tend to have a disposition toward negative things. And a spirit-filled person has a disposition of optimism and faith. We talked about this last week. And so here in the wilderness, we're told that God is testing them. Did you catch that? It says that he's testing them. Verse 4, whether that they would walk in his law. This hunger in the wilderness was allowed by the Lord to test them. We talked about this when we went through Genesis Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had famines. We're kind of in a famine right now. Our famine is from gathering together in the house of worship. That's our famine. Hopefully that'll change sometime soon. Now, we might have a food famine. You keep hearing all these, if you read too much news, you get unsettled, like there's not going to be enough meat, there's not going to be enough eggs, and you can really get unsettled. We know that we're designed by God to need air, to need water, and to need food. So it's a natural thing to be hungry. That's why we have fasting, because the Bible teaches fasting, so we can discipline our flesh to be subject to us, the spirit within us, rather than the spirit being subject to the flesh. So it'll be a spiritual woman, a spiritual man, instead of a carnal man, be a spiritual man. And so here, this is the test. They were brought out, and they're hungry. They're in the middle of nowhere, and there are at least a million people, and they're hungry. And they're like, so what do they do? They blame, they murmur against the Lord. Yet again, they're murmuring against the Lord, but they're murmuring against the leadership. And we've talked about this. It's so often leaders get blamed. Spiritual leaders get blamed for people being unhappy with the Lord and not being right with the Lord. People that are not right with the Lord often blame the people that are right with the Lord, whether it's in a marriage in the home or their parents in the home or their children in the home. It can go in any human direction, but it happens quite often. And Moses and Aaron are going to get blamed so many times for so many things for the next 40 years leading these people through the wilderness. But it has to be said, they're their gripe isn't against man, it's against the Lord. They are complaining against the Lord. And we are told in the New Testament not to follow this example. So what we're going through right now with COVID-19, the stay-at-home, the limits, the frustration, the, the variation of local laws and regional laws, and it's, it's mind-boggling. Don't let these external things frustrate you where it's reflective in your relationship with the Lord. We are to be spirit-filled women and spirit-filled men, and we want to be thankful men and thankful women. When you study church history and the things that people went through, difficult things and adversity, where God tested them as they're tested here, and for sure we're all being tested right now. I think we can agree the church humanity is being tested on the entire planet, the Church of Jesus Christ is being tested on the entire planet, and the Church of Jesus Christ here in California is being tested uniquely, as opposed to, say, the church in Kentucky or Texas or Virginia or New Hampshire. We're all being tested. We're being tested globally, nationally, and state, and even by county. It's a difficult time. So as we're being tested, and we have different types of famines going on right now, the famine from being able to go to work, or not even having work, I would just encourage all of us, do not murmur against the Lord. Take your thoughts captive and obedience to the Lord. Spend more time with the Lord in his word and in prayer than you do watching any news or reading any news. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us. We've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread in the gates of the city. And we have these promises to trust in him. Abraham learned to trust in the Lord in the famine. He learned from his mistake and going to Egypt. Isaac sowed in the land during the famine, and he prospered. became very prosperous. Jacob learned that God had a much bigger blessing than he could ever imagine when he went through the famine, and his land was restored to his son, Joseph. We need to trust in the Lord, and we need to be thankful. We need a thankful disposition. We don't want to blame leadership. We don't want to... We just... we got to trust in the Lord. Either Jesus is on the throne or He's not. And Jesus is the final authority, and He is on the throne. So whatever's going on in our planet, in our country, and in our state, and in our counties, and even in our cities, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and trust in the Lord and be thankful for what we can do and what we do have. See, the thankful person can always bless the Lord. You know, Corrie ten Boom, when she was in the German concentration camp with her sister, they thanked the Lord for the lice because the lice kept the guards away from their bed, and their bed is where they had their Bible, where they had the scriptures. And if you ever seen The Hiding Place, there's that scene where they thanked the Lord for the lice. Whatever God's doing right now in our lives, collectively and personally, we want to make sure that we have a thankful disposition, not a, a murmuring disposition. And we want to be spiritual, not carnal. God was testing them. It's a test. And they are failing this test. They're gonna fail test after test after test. So within one and a half years, none of these people over 20 except Joshua and Caleb are gonna go into the promised land. The, he's gonna say when we, we get farther into the books of Moses, he's like, I've given you these ten times and you you just it's over. So let's pass these tests. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to anyone else listening to me right now. It's a test. And it's a test. Are we going to be spiritual or carnal? Are we going to think like, oh, it was so good back in the old days? Well, was it really? We can't go back We today. We're headed into May. It's it's May 2020. And it is what it is. Verse 9. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that the quail came up in the evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew laid all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small, round substance, fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's needs, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent." Then the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. So when they had measured by the omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning, notwithstanding they did not heed Moses. But some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered every morning, every man, according to his need, when the sun became hot. It melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay it up for yourselves, all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for day is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not fight it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day And the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Okay, this is manna from heaven. This is wonderful. This is the manna. God supernaturally fed the Jews in the wilderness for 40 years this bread. It was there every morning. On six days, it was there. You had to get it. We say, like, spending time with the Lord in the morning, like, go get your manna. Because like if you don't get up early to spend time with the Lord and you try and do that same time with the Lord later in the day, it's kind of like not the same manna. It's not fresh manna. Like you get up early with the Lord like Jesus did with the Father, and you get the manna. So we kind of use that terminology with the manna. Get the manna because it's there. Or as I say, the early bird gets the early worm. Or in surfing, yeah, dawn patrol. You get the best surf usually first thing in the morning. And that's what the manna was. It was there, and there was enough for everybody. God provided for all of his people collectively and Individually, which is very encouraging because again, we just covered it. He's going to take care of us, He knows our needs, and we're told to cast all of our cares upon Him. Now, with this, we're told that six days was like this, and then on the sixth day, there's a double portion because there was the Sabbath rest. Now, we know this man speaks to us of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was tempted by the devil to turn stones into bread, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know that when Adam and Eve fell, they fell to the lust of the eyes with the fruit, that they lusted for the food. It literally says in Genesis that they lusted for the fruit. They, they were vegetarian vegans, and they lusted with a, a, a rebellious lust for the forbidden fruit. We are physical. We live in time, space, and matter. And as I said earlier tonight, we have physical needs. We need air, three minutes, water, three days, and food, three weeks. It's usually, we always use the three to describe what we can do there. And if you don't eat for 12 hours, you might start to get hungry. You don't eat for 18 hours, like, hmm, I'm kind of hungry. You don't eat for a day, you're hungry. You eat for three days, you're very hungry. But we don't live to eat, we eat to live. So the carnal person lives to eat. But the spiritual person eats to live. We eat to do what the Lord has for us. And Jesus in the Gospel of John constantly takes physical things and makes them spiritual things. And he teaches us in the Gospel of John that all these physical things of our universe that we understand being born, we must be born again. That you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. It's a spiritual water. Your father's ate man in the wilderness, but I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. You see, Jesus took physical things that we understand and, And told us that there's a spiritual meaning behind them. And while food satisfies the body and the nutrients for the body, only God can fill the hole in our heart. He's put eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3 says. And we know that God so loved the world, He gave His Son. And through receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, we are born again, not born a second time in our mother's womb, but born of the Spirit and made alive, and that Jesus fulfills us. He fulfills our soul and our spirit now, we're alive spiritually because we're, we're mind, body, spirit. But our spirit is dead to God. So when we're born again, our spirit's made alive through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's the one who fulfills our needs. He, he's our fullness. We have to find our fulfillment in the Lord. Remember Leah, when she had her children, the first three children, she all gave names and said, my husband's going to love me more. But then when she had her fourth son, Judas, she just goes, now I'm going to praise the Lord. Because I tried to have sons to please my husband. and didn't get me anywhere. But I'm just going to praise the Lord. We have to find a fulfillment in the Lord. It can't be in government. It can't be in relationships. It can't be in people. It can't be in money. It can't be in dreams and pursuits and carnal things. It has to be in the Lord. So Jesus, teaching the gospel of John, said, when he fed the 5,000, it's the context, too. And he's like, you don't seek me because I am teaching the word and you're receiving it. You seek me because you want a free meal. I mean, it's the original food outlet, you know, (laughs) food pantry. And they were kind of offended. They said, well, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. He goes, I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. I am the bread of life. So when they ate this manna in the morning and scooped it up, while it was meeting a physical need around 1500 BC, when Christ came 1500 years later, he fulfills this. This showed a daily need for physical sustenance for the human body. But Christ is the daily need for the eternal body, the spirit, in our relationship with him. This manna, Jesus took this story in the Gospel of John and said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. This is like black and white. Jesus's color. Full-color movie, if you will. This is what's obsolete, served a purpose, but it points to Christ. He said so. They ate manna, but I am the bread of life. And he said, unless you partake of me, you'll die in your sins. And he blew people away. In fact, John 6, is many people withdrew because, like, is he telling us to eat his flesh? They didn't get it because they're carnal. He's teaching spiritual things. They're carnal. They didn't get it. And he says to Peter, you're going to leave too? And he goes, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Peter's spiritual. See? So it's important when we look at this text that this is really pointing to Jesus Christ and that he's our morning devotion. We get that. We get Jesus early. We get up early and we get Jesus. And by the way, if you don't get up early for Jesus in May 2020, I don't know when you're ever going to get up early for Jesus. Like he's created a necessity of urgency and we need to get up early and seek the Lord. And when you see all that's going around us through the eyes of faith, having spent time with Jesus and put the Jesus goggles on and the Jesus headphones as we think about what's going on around us and not let these things move us Because without Jesus, you would be moved. And if you know Jesus and you're not seeking Jesus, you'd be moved more than anybody. Because you know enough to know these are scary times, but you're not abiding. So we need to abide. Get up early. Get that manna. And by all means, you see the stay in order? God gave him the stay in order. Hey, stay in your tent on the seventh day. (laughs) He didn't say indefinitely for months. He said on the seventh day. You know, and it's funny because I've been talking about this. So I'm just going to go on a little thing here right now. I've been thinking how, in the law, the seventh year was a Sabbath rest for the land, and it's really important. It's a proven fact in farming that if you let the the, the land lay fallow in the seventh year, it, the soils, the nutrients do all they're supposed to do, and it's, it's better. And If you strip it and you just keep so it, it loses its nutrients, it doesn't produce the same crops and all that stuff. And you think how, like when the the Jews went into captivity, the Babylonian captivity in you know uh, five twelve to four ninety five BC and all that. They went into captivity for 70 years. 70 years, they didn't have the seventh year Sabbath rest. And God held them accountable to the Sabbath rest. He let the land lay dormant for 70 years, for centuries of neglect from his word by his people. And I can't help but think how many people quit going to church when they had the choice to go to church. And now how many people really want to go to church that weren't going to church? Millennials are the least prioritized in going to church. The statistics prove that. So if you're a millennial, listen to me. Escucheme, por favor. Millennials, it's proven, go to church and value church less than any other generation in American history. Period. Church is an option. It's it's about relationships and people and fun and emotional worship and stuff like that. Now, obviously, there's millennials that love the Lord and do great with the Lord, love the Word of God, teach the Word of God. So I'm not putting a whole timeline. I'm a baby boomer. You can talk all you want about baby boomers, and I'll agree with you because baby boomers wrecked this country. They wrecked this country. I didn't wreck it, they did. I was wrecking it, I repented, and I'm trying to save it. But so I agree with you on that. But millennials, it's like church is an option. You ever notice that? Like with millennials, you know, it's like, well, you know, I want to go to church, you know, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, well, it's not an option now, is it? You let the ground lay fallow, you know, and it's like we've lost that choice. I can't wait to get back to church and see people in here with masks on. I'm looking forward to that. Because I'll take any kind of fellowship in this sanctuary at this time. Six weeks I've come in here on Saturdays with nobody here and have prayed. Six weeks. I come here in the dark, and my first emotion is to cry. It's my first emotion. I'm here with the Lord. There's times when you're in ministry as a pastor, you feel like you have to do it. Let me tell you something. In May 2020, Pastor Joey wants to be at church more than I've ever wanted to be at church. And maybe we've neglected church for so long that this is the fourth se- a forced Sabbath. God's like, you don't care about church anymore, then you don't get to go to church. This is a purifying work in the church. Did you catch that? God's purging his church right now. He's purging out carnal people, worldly people. If you go to church for entertainment, if you go to church to be self-centered and feel better about yourself, you're not gonna come back. Why would you? Why do you want to hang out with us with a bunch of masks on praising Jesus? 30 years ago on Virginia Beach when I started that church, God asked me, do you want to pastor church with churchgoers or do you want to make disciples? And I said, well, the Great Commission is to make disciples. Right. And then God took that church of 200 people and broke it down to 50 in the next month. God has a Sabbath. And we've been so busy and neglecting fellowship and the things of the kingdom that he stripped it from us. And these video teachings, the people that control all this, they're not bound to the same laws that other institutions are. If these people from Facebook and YouTube and Zoom decide they don't want to broadcast our Bible studies in our church this way, they don't have to. They're not legally obligated to. So we need to enjoy this while we got it and make the most of it. Like if we don't value the things of God, maybe God takes them away to see how we'll respond to it. And we'll find out who really wants those things and who really hungers and thirsts for the kingdom as opposed to just going to church and feel better about yourself or some self-seeking agenda. That it's your dream and you want God to piggyback on it and bless it like the genie in the sky. We bow the knee to Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. He's the preeminent one in the church. And he's taking church away from us, at least for this timeline. You don't think God's bigger than Gavin Newsom? Jesus Christ is going to raise us from the grave. You don't think he can change things today if he wants to? He's Lord. Donald Trump's not Lord. Putin's not Lord. Gavin Newsom's not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he makes donkeys talk. And he makes kings mow the grass with their teeth like Nebuchadnezzar. This is all from the Lord. And it says right there, let no man go out of his place. Huh. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up, WG. However you think this applies in your world, it's your world. Germany began to let people go outside. I don't know if you caught this. They began to loosen restrictions. Uh Uh-oh. COVID-19 increased. They're putting them back inside. (laughs) We don't know how long we're on this roller coaster. It could be from here to the rest of our timeline that we're alive. God said, honor my day. What God calls holy, we need to call holy. So he says we still know that I'm God, and we're all being still, knowing that he's God. So I encourage every one of us, as we think about this text, with the Jews in the wilderness, scooping the manna in the morning, and being told, don't go out there on the seventh day, that's a holy day, we just need to do what God's telling us to do. Like we said at the beginning of the chapter, He's going to test us, and He's testing us. We're all weighed in the, the scales. The prophet said, Multitudes multitudes in the valley of decision. It's the day of the Lord in the valley of decision. We're all weighed in the scales. I want to make sure I'm on the right side, and so do you. What God esteems, you esteem. What God prioritizes, you prioritize. Get up early and get your manna. And if He says, stay in, stay in. If you can go out, go out. Verse 32. Then Moses said, "This is the thing which the Lord has commanded: fill an omer with it and be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt." And Moses said to Aaron, "Take a pot and put in an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations, as the Lord commanded Moses." So Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept, and the children of Israel ate manna forty years until they came to inhabited land. They ate manna until they came into the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one tenth of an ephah. God fed them. Exactly what they needed in that wilderness wandering right to the day. Now, if you were under 20 coming out of Egypt, you were part of the exodus. Let's just say you're a teenager. You're in the class of 2020, Egyptian style. And you're coming out of Egypt, and you see Pharaoh's army drowning in the Red Sea. You walk through the coagulated Red Sea, the miracles. So you're 17. So you're going to the promised land at 57, right, because it's 40 years in the wilderness. You watch the failed attempt to go up to the promised land there in Numbers 13, 14, all that, that horrible situation. And God gives you the promises to go forward in your generation. But you were 17, you know, Castle 2020, when you came out of Egypt. And now you're 57, and you're going to the promised land, into Jericho, being led by Joshua. And there's Caleb. He's still your leader. Joshua's still your leader. These amazing men, amazing women. And you would have had that last day on the east side of the Jordan River where you scooped up your manna. And you would have had manna under the circumstances that you were set up to be in, the way God decreed it, you would have the manna every morning. And on the sixth day, you would have got a double portion, and then you're good to go. But on that final day, you would have had the manna, and then you would have crossed the Jordan. You would have never had manna again. But the lesson of manna is to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, lean not on our understanding. Jesus is the bread of life that comes down from heaven. The lesson of manna is to look to the Lord in all the promises of the Lord, to walk by faith, to live by faith. So... When you had to march around Jericho with Joshua, six days, one lap, six days, one lap, nothing said. Six days, you're 57 you're just like, wow, no more manna, we're eating regular food now, okay. Six days, seventh day, blow the trumpets, boom. It's a whole new world. Nothing stays the same, nothing stays the same. They ate it for 40 years, and there's a day they didn't eat it. And they had to go work the vineyards, worked the olive trees, the fig trees. They lived in houses they didn't build. They inherited vineyards and groves they didn't plant. God is good. And he's able to do above all that we could think or ask in any generation. But if it's just manna for a long time, get up early, scoop your manna, and praise the Lord that he's feeding you manna. Amen? Now we read on in chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord. And camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, "Give us water that we may drink." So Moses said to them, "Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord?" And the people thirsted for water, and the people complained against Moses, and they said, "Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst?" So Moses cried to the Lord, saying, "What shall I do with this people? They are already almost ready to stone me." And the Lord said to Moses, "Go on before the people. Take with some of the elders of Israel." Also take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because the contingent of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, or literally tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? See, some people, again, we talk about carnal people, Faith is something he's hope for. The evidence not yet seen. But carnal people, they have to see everything. And they just forget what the Lord did yesterday, today, because they're just carnal. And it's all self-seeking. They're the gravity that everything orbits around them. But spiritual people, they they have the mind of the Lord. They have the mercies of the Lord. They consider one another. They stir up love and good works. And they know that God was faithful yesterday. He'll be faithful today. We don't contend with the Lord. We don't test the Lord. We trust in the Lord. And we We know he's going to provide for us. So here at the rock, this rock is Jesus. Again, we talk about in 1 Corinthians. It tells us that these things are written for our admonition. And we are told in 1 Corinthians, New Testament, interpreting Old Testament, that the rock is Christ. This rock being struck represents Christ. So first of all, in the context, the rock is struck and the water comes forth and God met their needs. God's going to always meet our needs. God knows we need to. When there's a million people in the wilderness and there's no water, God knows they need water. He gave them, he brought them to bitter water and gave them the tree and made the water sweet. Like, how do you forget that? If God was faithful yesterday, isn't going to be faithful today. Hey, God took care of us here. He's going to take care of us here. So remember, we added the tree in Mara, and the bitter water became sweet. Now we're here, but God's leading us to the promised land. God promised to take us to the land full of milk and honey. In fact, he said earlier before this chapter, when you come into the land full with milk and honey, it, God's already done. It's a done deal. The promises are yes, yes, and amen. It's a done deal. So he, he's not bringing them out in the wilderness to kill them. He's refining them. He's proving them. He's, he's giving them character and depth. He's trying to teach them lessons to trust in the Lord. That's what he's doing. Now, in the New Testament, that famous story again with the Gospel of John, Jesus comes to the woman at the well. He's thirsty. And he asked the woman to draw the water for him. And she says, why do you ask me to draw water? And they have the whole conversation. But he said to the woman, you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink from the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And you'll spring forth rivers of living, uh, of life, eternal life, living waters. And she said, where do I get this water? Like, give me this water. Jesus is that water. So this rock represents Christ. Now, we know Moses struck the rock. And we know that Jesus was struck on the cross. And the life comes forth from Jesus being struck. But with the woman at the well, Jesus compares eternal life and the relationship with him, abundant life, to living water. Again, when we thirst, we need water. I'm running around dancing all this stuff. I get thirsty. I have to hydrate, right? I'm old. I get stiff. I have to hydrate. I need water. I need water. Lots of water. We know what it's like when you're thirsty. When you really want water, I mean you really want water. That's a natural drive that God gave us. But it's a temporal drive. It doesn't affect the eternal body, the glorified body. It affects our terrestrial body, but not our celestial body. And again, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, is teaching us that the spiritual things take precedent and supersede the physical things. We see that. So in this situation where the rock is struck, it represents Christ in a very real sense, how he was struck for us to give us spiritual life and living water. Because that's what he says he offers to the woman at the well. And she believed him. And she believed. And the village believed and the people believed. So the living water is Jesus. This rock represents Jesus and this water though it met their physical need and temporal need, it really speaks of the spiritual need we all have that we thirst for the Lord. And of course, that story in John at the feast where Jesus stands up at the last day of the feast and says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me, and out of his heart will come torrents of living water. This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. This is time, space, and matter, but the deeper meaning in Christ is the eternal things fulfillment in Christ, that deep need that we have. As much as you... As the deer panteth for the water, the psalmist said, as much as we might pant for the water, what our human soul really pants for is the relationship with the living God that Jesus Christ gives us when we repent of our sins and receive him as Lord and Savior and put our faith and trust in him. And we find total fulfillment of abundant life in him when he is our contentment and the pursuit of our life. And we have a spiritual life. It is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all those things listed in the fruit of the Spirit that is that living water of the Spirit. Isn't that what we want to have in May 2020? That's what I want to have. More time with Jesus. A lot of idle time out there. More time with Jesus. Let the living waters flow forth from our lives. Amen? Amen. Now we pick it up in verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, Choose us, Some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the mountain. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so he took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So here we go. They get out of this region in the wilderness of sin, and they're moving toward a direction where they're going, and there's war. You ever notice when you go forward with the Lord, there's always war. There's always a battle. But we need to be reminded that we wrestle against not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, heavenly hosts and, spiritual, and heavenly places, like in the heavens, different dimensions the spiritual entities. We're in a knockdown, drag-out spiritual battle, and it's the Battle of the Ages. And even as Israel had perpetual war with Amalek, generation after generation after generation. The Amalekites, remember the first king, Saul was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites, Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and he didn't. So Samuel had to do it. They were to wipe out their sheep, their flocks, everything. There wasn't, there wasn't anything left. The, the Amalekites are unredeemable, like COVID-19. You know, there's just nothing good that could come. These people were so evil, they were not redeemable. Now, we don't know who's redeemable or not redeemable, but if God says Amalek is not redeemable, I can assure you, God who knows everything, Amalek, is not redeemable. And if God says Amalek under his judgment, and write a book of remembrance, I feel bad for Amalek, like Pharaoh, and like Judas. Just make sure that you're not Amalek, Pharaoh, or Judas, and choose life. Amalek, when Haman, there in the Medo-Persian Empire, is thought to destroy Mordecai and all the Jews, he's an Amalekite. So hundreds of years later, there's an Amalekite trying to wipe out the entire Jewish nation with these decrees spread out throughout the Medo-Persian Empire. And Esther, of course, went in and saved her people. And the gallow that Haman built for Mordecai, he himself hung on, but he's an Amalekite. King Herod is a descendant of Amalekites. So when he tried to kill baby Jesus... That's an Amalekite. He's of Edomene descent, which is connected to the Amalekites. And so from this battle with Amalek and Joshua, for all these centuries through Samuel the prophet and Saul around 1000 B.C., then Haman about you know, 500 B.C. to Herod the Great, the time of Christ, The common thread is the Amalekites attacking. And what are they attacking? They're attacking Jesus Christ. They're going for the seed. They're going for the seed of Abraham. Amalek is led by the devil, trying to destroy the promises of God, the promised Messiah from Genesis 3.15 throughout the entire Old Testament. And he's trying to thwart the promises of God by destroying the people of God to whom the scriptures were entrusted, and the Messiah is to come. But Amalek, from here on, is trying to destroy those promises of God, even as the spirit of Amalek lives today through the devil himself trying to destroy the church on this planet, on this day, in this time, May 2020. So whatever's coming against us as a church in our planet, on our planet, in May 2020, your home, your life, your heart, your marriage, your family, your children, your extended family, whatever It's coming against us and threatening our freedoms with the Lord, our freedoms to gather, our freedom of these things, whether it's COVID-19 or expanding government, whatever it is. Listen, the battles against Amalek, and it's not flesh and blood, it's spiritual. Whatever battles we're fighting, they're spiritual. It's going to be one with spiritual weapons. With the armor of God, the prayers of the saints, the promises of the word, and may this just be our finest moment ever for the church in human history. And do not forget that Jesus loves his church.